third chapter, verses 6 through 9. Galatians 3, verse 6 through 9. Even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Let us now turn our attention to the words of exhortation from Brother Herb. Good morning. We have the opportunity to consider the biography of a man who was called to be the father of God's people, the progenitor of a race, the co-progenitor of God's son, and the only man ever to be called a friend of God. Abram, the son of Terah, was born in Ur of the Chaldees on the banks of the river Euphrates and lived there the first 70 years of his life. We read in Genesis 11, And Terah took Abram his son and Lot the son of Haran, his son's son, and Sarah, his daughter-in-law, his son, Abram's wife, and they went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan, and they came unto Haran and dwelt there. To the uninformed or casual reader of the scriptures, one might assume that Abram followed his father, Terah, out of Ur, when in fact, comparing other scriptures, the opposite is true. In the book of the Acts, we read of Stephen standing before the Sanhedrin, boldly yet respectfully, he begins his address, men, brethren, and fathers, the God of glory appearing unto Abram when he was still in Mesopotamia, before he dwelt in Haran, said, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and come into a land which I shall show thee. The Apostle Paul writing to the Hebrews tells us that by faith Abraham when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing whither he went. 
Also in Nehemiah, we read of the revival after return from Babylon. And part of that celebration was to remember the calling of Abram out of the land of the Chaldees. They remembered also the faithfulness of Abram and the covenant God made with him to give him the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Jebusites, and the Girgashites. It becomes very clear when you consider all the counsel of deity that Abram was definitely called of God and followed that call to a land that he knew not. Indeed, in the words of Joshua, we read that God took Abram from the other side of the flood and led him throughout the land of Canaan. Our introduction to Abram and the importance of the man is emphasized when we read within the first verses of Matthew's genealogy of Christ that it begins with Abraham. Brother Albert Hall in his book From Eden to Eden writes also of this introduction. In the divine narrative, we take up another line of development and find ourselves in Ur of the Chaldees. We find a break in the woman's seed. This, Brother Hall tells us, is to demonstrate how and through whom the seed of the woman should be brought about. Prior to the introduction of Abram, we have seen how the sons of men have followed their heart's desires and have forsaken the way of Yahweh. The fulfillment of the promise could not be brought about through just any woman's seed. Much had to be accomplished, and that we see in the first verses of our introduction to the man, Abram. Genesis 11. Now, we, now these are the generations of Terah. Terah begat Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran begat Lot. And Haran died before his father Terah in the land of his nativity in Ur of the Chaldees. And Abram and Nahor took them wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Iscah. But Sarai was barren. She had no children. Such is the introduction given of Abram and Sarai, who we shall find played so important a part in the divine plan of the ages that Joshua tells us that God led him through the land of Canaan and at a suitable place, a suitable place, wherein his herds could graze, he stopped. However, with the Canaanite still in the land, he was compelled to move to the east between Bethel and Hai. It was there that he builded an altar, and God said unto him, Unto thy seed will I give this land. Shortly after, because of famine, Abram was briefly led into Egypt 
for his character was tested. We cannot say whether or not Abram deceived Pharaoh, but what he said was the truth. He was treated well by the Egyptian ruler and came out with much substance. Coming again to the land of Canaan, he went to the very same place, very same altar, and there he called upon the name of the Lord. It becomes readily apparent that there was already in place a good relationship between Abram and God. Correct sacrifice was firmly embedded in the mind of the man Abram, and with sacrifice the shedding of blood. Very quickly we should recognize that covenant making reveals the sovereign purpose of God and will fulfill his plan to inhabit the earth with his glory as waters cover the sea. Why did Abram feel compelled to build an altar and sacrifice at this time? The apostle writing to the Romans tells us that he believed God. He believed. And it was counted unto him for righteousness. Why? Abram was an obedient man, so his belief was based upon obedience and understanding. He understood that God had called him unto a place that he had never seen, and God called him unto a place whereby he could separate. He understood that he was a sinner by birth and by deed, and therefore needed sacrifice to cover his sin. Several incidents happened in short order that helped to further define the character of the man we are considering this morning. It became necessary for the flock and herd of Abram to be separated from that from Lot. Because Lot chose the fertile lowland valley that surrounded the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, Abram chose the hill country, the land of Canaan. As a result, Yahweh appeared unto Abram and said, This from Genesis chapter 13, And the Lord said unto Abram, after that Lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where thou art northward, and southward, and eastward, and westward. For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed be numbered. Arise. Walk through the land in the length of it and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. Then Abram removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and builded there an altar unto the Lord. Some time then passed, and we read that there was trouble along the eastern borders of the land of Canaan. Kings from that eastern area made war and took possession of goods and treasures of Sodom and took captive Lot. When word reached Abram, he took 318 trained servants and made war with Ketelomer and successfully retrieved the wealth of Sodom and rescued Lot 
In this count, there are several elements introduced to us for the first time. The word Hebrew is introduced and forever associated with God's chosen people. And there came one that had escaped and told Abram the Hebrew, first time, for he dwelt in the plain of Mamre, the Amorite brother of Eshcol. We are here introduced to Melchizedek. And while not much is revealed of the man, what is revealed is rich and overflowing with significance. He was king of Salem. And although Salem was not directly involved in the skirmishes and felt no ill effects from what happened, Melchizedek brought bread and wine and blessed Abram for his faithful service. Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thine hand. And he, Abram, gave him tithes of all. After these things transpired, we read in Genesis 15 that Yahweh spoke unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Now at this time, Abram was not a young man. He was rich in goods. He had been promised land which as yet not secured. So he relied in question, replied in question, What wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? What follows is rather remarkable, since by my reckoning he was over 80 years of age. And once again God tells Abram of a seed so numerous that counting them would be impossible. The apostle writes in this manner, Therefore sprang there even one, and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore, innumerable. Yet Abram, even in his old age, would produce seed, and even Sarai, not much younger than her husband, she too would bear a child. Yet in this revelation to him, there is another indication of the, character, the strength of character that was the man Abram. Knowing that childbearing is one of the most difficult yet blessed things a woman could encounter, and knowing that Sarah was beyond the age of childbearing, Abram and Sarah chose to turn that task over to her handmaid, and Ishmael was born unto Hagar. Here now we are introduced to a divine principle that is mostly ignored by the masses of humanity. God promised a seed to Abram, but it would be of his choosing, not Abram's. God, in these simple words, introduced the principle of exclusivity. Genesis 17, verse 19, and God said, Sarah thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant, and with his seed after him. In Isaac shalt thy seed be called, 
At this point, Abram's name was changed to Abraham, and Sarai's name was changed to Sarah. The explanation given was that he would be a father of many nations. There, also, there was also in the life of Abraham another event few, if any, humans have ever faced. Genesis 22. And it came to pass, after these things, that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Take thine only son Isaac, Isaac, whom thou lovest, and offer him for a burnt offering. Can you imagine? The account continues. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the word for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto his father, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the offering? Isaac understood burnt offering. And so he asked, Father, where is the lamb? The account continues. And Abraham said, My son, please understand, this is a very, very intimate conversation between a father and his son. Abraham said, my son, God will provide. So they went, both of them, together. And they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Bound Isaac upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Abraham was going to plunge that knife into the chest of Isaac. The son of promise, the seed in whom a seed as numerous as the stars of heaven was promised. He was going to slay the son whom he lovest. The account continues. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abram, Abram. And he said, Here am I. 
And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son Isaac. God did exactly what Abraham said he would do. God provided a lamb for a sacrifice. The account concludes. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abram out of heaven the second time and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. We have at this point alluded to the several seed of Abraham. We mentioned Isaac, who was born unto Sarah, Ishmael, who was born unto Hagar. There was also born unto Keturah six sons, who in turn had many sons. In the opening verses of our introduction to Abraham, we surely noticed that there were some words that are excluded in some of our popular versions. Verse 3 states in the King James Version, In thee will all families of the earth be blessed. Those words are repeated in the concluding remarks that the angel spoke, the angel of the Lord spoke unto Abram on the mount after the lamb had been provided for a sacrifice instead of Isaac. This time, this time, a little more clarity had been provided. This time, instead of in thee, we read in thy seed that just minutes before he who shall possess the gates of his enemies was later identified by the Apostle Paul as Christ. So now we are to understand that in Christ shall all nations of the earth be blessed. We also must clearly establish what is implied as to the benefits of seed. After Isaac was born unto Sarah, and the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, which she had born unto Abraham, mocking. Why Ishmael mocked Isaac, we are not told. But the incident did not sit well with Sarah, so she had Hagar and Ishmael removed from the house of Abraham with the words for the son of this bondwoman, the son of this bondwoman, Ishmael, shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. Note, Sarah used the word heir. And so the account, account continues. 
And the thing was very grievous in Abram's sight because of his son. And God said unto Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad, and because of thy bondwoman. In all that Sarah hath said unto thee, hearken unto her voice, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Also the son of the bondwoman will I make a nation, because he is thy seed. To be heir then implies what? Webster defines the word thusly. One who is entitled to receive a future endowment of quality from a predecessor. One who is entitled to succeed to a possession of any property or assets by reason of being named in a will. What this means then is A. The entitlements are a matter of law. B. Only those named have rights to the entitlement. And C. Once the covenant is ratified, no change can be entertained. In the case of the covenant God made with Abraham, those named were Abraham in Genesis 15:8, Jesus Christ in Galatians 3:19, and those who joined in the covenant and are the true seed of Abraham, Genesis 17, verse 8. From this we need to know and understand the purpose and meaning implied by covenant making. While there are many covenants and covenants for many reasons, Abraham understood. And so we should as well. We are interested at this time mainly in the covenant or covenants God made with Abraham and the implication it has for people other than his natural seed. In ancient times, the way of making a covenant was for two parties to pass through a divided sacrifice. We therefore read in Genesis 15, verse 9, And he said unto him, Take me an heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these, and he divided them in the midst, and laid each one against another. But the birds divided he not. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram, Abram at that time drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, and horror of great darkness fell upon him. The sun going down was figurative of the termination of Abraham's days. The horror of great darkness was the grave. The account continues. It came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp passed between those pieces. In the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land, from the river of Egypt, unto the great river, the river Euphrates. From a thorough examination of the divine record, we are to understand that this covenant had far-reaching implications, even to a time 4,000 years into the future. It can therefore be said that in all the conversations, direct and through an angel, 
even all the dealings that God had with Abraham, certain promises were made, and Abraham understood that fulfillment was long after he was to die. In almost every instance, every instance that is recorded, the promise of possession is both personal and for his seed. Therefore, Abraham also understood that in the process of time, he would by process of resurrection share in the joyous acceptance of God's mercy and grace. Out of necessity, we must consider that some of Abraham's seed will not share in the promises. Ishmael, born of Hagar, was excluded. And in the process of time, one of the daughters of Ishmael became a wife of Esau. Progeny of Ishmael and Esau became the Arab nations, which surround Israel today. And even though they claim Abraham, Abraham as their father, they too were excluded. The third wife of Abraham, Keturah, had sons by Abraham, and they, by intermingling with the progeny of Ishmael, are part of those Arab nations which surround Israel today. Sadly, we must admit that there will be among those excluded sons of Abraham through Isaac and Jacob. How could that be, you ask? The apostle writing to the Romans puts it this way. Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children. But in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for thy seed. Simply put, some of the seed of Abraham, later Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, would be excluded. Why? Certainly not because they had the wrong mother, but they did not share the same values, nor did they share the same faithfulness as their fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Thus we have Paul's comment, not all Israel are Israel. Paul uses the word counted. A synonym for counted is reckoned, treated or deemed. And so what he is saying is that only those who had faith in the covenant were deemed or counted as true seed of Abraham. This brings us to another seed of Abraham. Once again, we refer to the opening verses of our introduction to the man Abraham. In thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed the voice of God and came within a heartbeat of plunging a knife into the chest of his son Isaac, God said again, In thy seed shall all nations of the earth be blessed. There were only five men, five, in all of Scripture, wherein the word I-N is applied. Adam and Christ are mentioned by the Apostle in his first letter to the Corinthians, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ 
shall all be made alive. Why in Adam? Because all men were in his loins when he sinned. Thus we have the expression Adamic condemnation. Why in Christ? It is a matter of constitution or relationship. Constitutionally, then, all men are born in Adam, but only by baptism are men related to or constitutionally in Christ. The Apostle then makes this extremely important connection. Paul, writing to the Galatians, makes this comment. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men. Though it be but a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not to seeds, plural, as of one, but to thy seed, which is Christ. This I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. The covenant God made with Abraham and the promises contained therein was confirmed by the death of Christ with the statement that in thy seed shall all nations of the earth be blessed. We have now the introduction of another seed of Abraham. Paul continues, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. The other three, by the way, with which the preposition I-N is associated are Abraham, his son Isaac, and his grandson Jacob. To be in Christ, then, is to be in Abraham. There are two ways that a person can have children. Two ways. One by natural birth, the other by adoption. Adoption, as we all know, is a legal process. All children have the rights, privileges, and responsibilities as one born naturally. Adoption is a biblical principle and is the way that all nations of the earth can be blessed. Does that mean that literally all nations will be found, found, favor, found in favor with God and will be heirs with the children of promise? No, definitely not. The principle is expressed quite clearly by Paul in these words written to the Ephesians, Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time, Gentiles, 
At that time, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth. Ephesians 2, verse 12, then. At that time, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But Paul continues. Now in Christ Jesus, in Christ, ye who sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Gentiles at birth have no part in the promises God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But in Christ, they are no more strangers and pilgrims, but members of the household of God. And so Paul, writing then to the, to the Romans, puts a period to the argument. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. We have spent some time reviewing the life of the man Abraham, reviewing the promises God made with him, and considered the faithful life he lived. Paul, writing to the Hebrews, puts it this way, For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself saying, Surely, blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. God promised to Abraham certain promises which he intends to keep. Paul continues, Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. We are living in very exciting but troubling times. As we view the events around us, both locally and globally, we are certain, indeed convinced, that our Master's return is imminent. Some will ask the question, what must I do to be saved? Having read, and so understand, that God does not have a plan to save the masses of humanity, but not willing that any perish, has developed a plan to draw near unto those that draw near unto him. Like those, excuse me, those like Abraham, through the eye of faith, look for a city. Not just any city, but one which hath foundation, 
and one whose builder and maker is God himself. Having read also that our first parents were cast out of Eden and alienated from God by sin, we recognize that currently there are two classes of people on the earth. One class continues to be alienated, while the other are in Christ and await his return with both eager anticipation and yet some apprehension. We have often said that our prayer is to hear from the lips of the great judge himself. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. But we also are aware that maybe Maybe we will not hear those words, but just the opposite. Depart from me, thou wicked and slothful servant. For those living in these last days of Gentile times, the admonition is very, very simple. Forsake the error of our ways, and to walk in that way, seek after that truth, and pursue after that life. Which way? Which truth? And which life are available in Christ, and if in Christ, are Abraham's seed, and heirs, heirs to joys unspeakable, and pleasures forevermore.